everyone. I'm Dr. Rachel Lupian. And I'm Dr. Stephanie Sparrow. Our climate is in crisis, and we all want to help, but we might not know how. We're talking to people who have figured out how to use their talents to combat climate change in the hopes that their journey might inspire your own. This is How We Got Here, because the Earth needs professional help. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Steph. How are you? How are you? Oh, jeez. Uh, um, Coke. Oh. Oh, I'm I mean, like wait, Coke can I not talk anymore then? Oh, yeah, I guess. Well, uh, podcast over. Uh, okay, we're, not, we're out. Oh, wait, sorry. Okay. And now I have to buy you like 20 Cokes. Um, I'm not saying to you that I am currently knitting while recording this podcast. Wait. However. I can't see your hands right now. Are you knitting? Oh, okay. I'm not knitting. But let me tell you, I had some very nice people, including my mother-in-law and some people that I work with, teach me how to knit. And then I just like dove right in and I am obsessed. It's great. It's like, great. Do you regret giving me the crochet sweater for cat book two yes, years ago? That was so long ago, but I guess that I was crochet. To you. So maybe I'm, I'm not at crocheting yet. Do you know if you knit continental European stuff? I think I... Wait, is that one thing? No, or it's is that two. continental so, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I My do mom, not know, but I have heard people talk about it and say that they do it one way, and I have no idea. My is mom... It, wait, is it about how you fold your finger? or if the you knit, just, yeah. There's like, so I use my finger as like a little anchor. Oh, What's you do it the mean? hard way. I, I think, well, so, yeah, so when I miss it, I yeah. do it the wrap around yeah. with it. Anyway. Yeah, I do it Knitting's that way. so great. <laughs> I know. Planning what I, so I'm making a scarf. Love it. And you can truly, it. it's like a long, skinny, very Danish scarf. It's like wraps yeah. around a bunch of times. You can, it is a time series. Like I do time series analysis for my work and you can literally see <laughs> my improvement as the scarf goes on. And of course I want to like undo it all and redo it now that I'm like a little better at it, but. Just make a new scarf after. My mom will Well, let... I think it, it's like a good marker. I have to, it's a good yeah. way to remember my <laughs> journey. See your How we got it. here. How you, my mom will knit 90% of a blanket that's like six feet by six feet and she'll mess it up and she'll be like, I just ended the whole thing. I'm like, no. She can do it in like two seconds. My mom's a mania. Dang, I've spent many, many hours on this very small scarf, but it is so it looks, fun. The, the little picture I saw of it. Oh, great. I'll send you an update picture. It's, it's a much larger triangle now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I used to knit all the time. It's, oh, yeah. it's, I think it's a great activity to do. Right, as you know, using it sweaters. Do you have a good? Is that your good this week? No, I no, it's not. I so I've had a lot going on at work. We're like building a lab. We're getting grants. We're getting rejected for grants. We're getting papers (laughs) accepted. Okay, I didn't get any papers accepted. That's a lie. But it was an example. (laughs) But my my good and bad, basically, okay. Bad is that I got a big grant rejected. But we're just gonna pretend that that didn't happen. Never happened. A way of coping. Yeah, great. Love it. Love a cope. Love a denial coping. Mechanism. Love a coping mechanism. Pretend it didn't happen. Um, I, so I got it. I got or we got my group. I was actually not the lead PI because assistant professors here don't have a lot of power. It's a bit weird, but it's fine. Anyway, we got a grant funded to buy an instrument, and that is fantastic news. And ever since then, I have been trudging along dealing with the purchasing department and all this this tender so that we can get the best price and all this stuff and it's like negotiating is that tender it's so i would rather just negotiate one-on-one with the salesperson right but if it's over a certain amount european law is that it needs to go out on the public market and so you have to basically put together a list of requirements which is like one thing I had already done that went back and forth we solidified that then you wait and then we only got one offer which like isn't good enough basically because it's not enough competition so we have to do it again and now it's just so it's just going on and on and on and I am frustrated I have never 
heard of such a thing. Yeah, it sucks. And I no don't one know, else wants I, to get you your instrument. Is basically what it is, right? It's like you. Yeah. So this out. time around, we got more offers, but it's complicated, and it has to do with price, but also the details of what we wanted. And it's also like it's my first time doing it, and so this is why I don't know. I'm trying to do it like the right way, right? Like buy right. the book, right? Which like I'm being told I literally have to do and then in yeah the eu has crazy regulations and yeah. being told like oh you could have like <laughs> tricked your way through the... it's just super annoying so that's my that... it's like it's good because we have the money like yeah, that's yeah. fantastic and i'm so glad we can get this instrument and do the work but it's been two months since we've got that grant and it's like can somebody just take my money and right like please thing? take my money and please. give me the thing yeah. And on a smaller wow. scale, we're also like working on buying some smaller lab equipment and it's the same thing. It's like salespeople just like aren't replying to email, like just take my take money. My money. Like, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's a part of the job that is, I don't know. It's like, it's I had heard ass. about it. It's yeah, a pain it's in the ass. ass and it's so time consuming. And then, like, you see other people build labs slowly, and you're like, oh, I won't do it. I'll do it so fast. And then, of course. But this sounds like a worse system. It's a just so different bad. system than what we're used to here. It in the is. States. So, yeah, a lot of this job has been learning the new job roles, but then also yeah. learning the new, like, funding systems. That's been a, and, like, yeah. administrative system. That sounds wildly complicated. <sighs> anyway, how are you? How's your work going? Um, good. As you know, and no one else knows, I've been sick for... You've just <laughs> been, like, out. Years. Yeah. I'm yeah, just years. Year, like, truly years. Since 2022, I would argue. So, work has been slow, because I've been playing <laughs> catch-up. I mean, truly, since yeah. December. Um, but, submitted a paper that got <gasps> sent back twice already for saying, your city isn't with the author affiliation. And I'm like, I don't know how many times Wait. I have to tell you Richmond Wait, is part of... your city isn't... Yeah, like part of the, you know how you have a title page on papers? Yeah. 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 So it's like Stephanie Sparrow, Department of Environment, Geography, yeah. comma, right. It says Richmond on it. And two different times they've been like, your city is not there. And I'm like, can you just oh, at least like. as though that's like a good use of everyone's time. Thank you. And it hasn't like, been accepted. One, it, it hasn't even been accepted to peer review, oh right? Because I'm God, like. what a waste. One, it is there. I emailed the person that says, like, <laughs> You're like this is the same false. thing. I don't know what I'm missing. <laughs> and two, exactly. I'm like, can you like maybe you should it put it in the title first? <laughs> I am for rich. So it hasn't even it. been set out for review. They're like, no, and they're like, wasting... we can't send it out. Oh my god, oh. this all weekend. Um, so there's a good bad, and then I was thinking with the same. So. Great, I haven't submitted a paper in a long, long this, time. Rachel, this paper was started in 2019. Oh. What year is it? 2023. I mean, yeah, the paper I'm still working on is is was 2019. Oof. But the thing would be, anyway, like you're playing catch up, right? So I've just been playing catch up. Yeah. So that's been pretty. But I was actually thinking about this today, and I'm so excited for you to introduce our guest because <gasps> I'm teaching my intro uh, or science class, and I always force my students to read. Articles from like the popular media, like NPR, yeah. or Vox. Yeah, and we just read an article from the Atlantic. Because you're a cool teacher. I'm cool. I think that <laughs> you're care. with it. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, no, but I do make them read things that aren't sciencey to be like, wait, this but... is why we're learning about the science. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. Um, but we read about redlining today, and that's yeah. why I'm so excited. And we feel it in Richmond, but we read about it in um, California. So I'm so excited for you to introduce our guest. And I'm gonna, I might make them listen to this episode. Yeah, do it. Hi, class. Well, that's great. I too am so excited to welcome our guest this week, Kate Mangoya. Kate is an urban planner, which we learn can mean a huge range of things. She is the National Director of Climate Resilience and Land Use at Groundwork USA, which is a network of environmental justice organizations. She works with people and communities to improve their environmental, economic, and social conditions, increase the likelihood of upward mobility, and improve health and overall quality of life. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Kate. Hey. Thanks for being here. Hello. 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 Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, we were just commenting on your nice space where Rachel just has a shiny, a very shiny map. I have a shiny map behind me. It, it was here when I moved into this office. It's, oh, and you never touched it. It's large. It. Didn't touch it. I'm about to move out of this office. Gonna um, leave it. So. <laughs> Kate, you work from home now, it looks like. I right? do, yeah. I'm coming to you live from my dining room table. I sit oh. on the left side and I work on the right side. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You like the sides. Well, Kate, what do you do from your dining room table? What is your job title? Yeah. Do you have a LinkedIn? I do. Does it say what you does it say what you are? I, I just, does. I just yeah. connected with her. Yeah, I work with Oh, you just Oh yeah. <laughs> I just sent you a connect. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> Real time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I work with Groundwork USA and my title is the National Director of Climate Resilience and Land Use. So I direct our national networks programming around how do you make communities safer from the climate crisis, particularly ones that are extremely vulnerable because of their history, because of their tree canopy cover, their impervious surface, their proximity to rivers and populations that have been uh, ignored at best and, and mm. intentionally uh, disadvantaged at worst. That sounds like not an easy job. I'm going to throw that out there right now. Dealing with decades of structural racism and environmental justice issues. Just figure it out. Got to start somewhere. So is, if you're chatting with somebody in line at a CVS, would you, would you say that? Or would, or would you uh, um, break it down a bit for them? For yeah, them, we don't, not us. We get it, we get it. But for that person, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we don't have a great elevator pitch at our organization yet. We're working on it. Um, but I think one of the programs that's most relevant to this podcast and takes up the majority of my time these days is our yeah. Climate Safe Neighborhoods Partnership, uh, which pulls together 12, soon to be 15 cities across the country to understand the relationship oh. between historical race-based housing segregation and the way we experience the climate crisis. And it's yeah. sort of divided into a couple of years. We spent time working with residents to figure out why do our neighborhoods look the way they do? They don't look like this by accident. They're not going to change by accident. So, so how do we figure out mm. that relationship? Then work really closely with residents to prioritize the changes they would like to see. Um, get some demonstration projects in the ground to show that change is possible. Things like rain gardens, tree plantings, rain barrels, yeah. just to keep people safe immediately because stuff's real hot and wet now. Uh, and then work with residents to build their capacity to organize and intervene at the local level, at their city level and planning processes and budgetary cycles to get a more equitable distribution of resources to their neighborhoods. So it's it's like across time and spatial scales. Sure is. Yeah. Oh, we, all? we love oh. scales. Anyway. We love scales. We, we love space. We love time. <laughs> we love them all. Can I ask a question about the cities you're working with? Have they all, I don't think we've ever talked about this on the podcast, Rachel, but have they all been previously redlined? Are those the cities that you're working with? Yeah, almost all of them have been redlined. Uh, there are, so, so back in the, do you, how helpful is this? I was like, going to say, can you tell us what redlined is? Yeah, I can, yeah, what yeah, redlining I can tell you what it is. So if you... It's not that fun, but we're talking about it optimistically. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting and disappointing, but not terribly surprising. Um, mm -hmm. So if we go back yes. in time to the Great Depression, people are struggling. Um, at, back in the 1920s, 30s, you actually couldn't get a 30-year mortgage the way that you could today. Instead, what would happen is you would get a five-year mortgage and you would pay down the principal over those five years. And at the end, you would have a balance you needed to remortgage. But by 19 1933, 50, that's 5-0% of mortgages were in default. So folks are not that's making enough. It is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people are not We're good with numbers here. Okay. People, <laughs> people are not making enough money and you've got this huge foreclosure crisis. So the federal government has to figure out what to do. So they say, hey, private banks, we the federal government will vouch for this person over here. And if they don't pay their mortgage, we the federal government will pick up the tab with taxpayer dollars. And so the federal government, since they were going to use taxpayer dollars to loosen lending and get more of these mortgages out from the private sector, had to decide which areas were safe bets and which areas were risky bets. So they sent surveyors to cities that had about 100,000 so or more populations Yeah, to, to different cities, um, cities like uh, New York City and Dallas and uh, Richmond, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia um, Portland, Oregon. And they outlined areas that had wealthy, kind of the right kind of white person, because we know definitions yeah. of race change over time in our culture. Mm. Um, they outlined those areas in green and they could get mortgages that were federally backed at favorable rates, neighborhoods that were considered to be less desirable. So black and brown folks, lower quality housing stock, low income people, the wrong kind of white people, quote unquote. Um, yeah. They Italian, Italian, Irish people. Yeah, Eastern Europeans. Those areas were outlined yeah. in red or redlined and they were not eligible for mortgages. And so people often ask like, 
okay, cool. So this thing that happened in the 1930s, like, what does that have to do with the climate crisis today? <laughs> if you uh-huh. are a black family that lives in a red-lined neighborhood and you've got enough money and you want to move into a green-lined uh-huh. neighborhood, guess what? You can't. No one's going to sell to you because your very presence would downgrade uh, the neighborhood. You can actually head to mappinginequality.org and see the... Yeah, uh, it goes from like an A to a B. It's like wild. I mean, everything is wild. Yeah, it, it does. What do you mean A to B? Oh, like from a good neighborhood to like a, they grade them green uh, okay. to red, and then there's letters too. I think like A to D. Yeah, A okay, is okay. green, and then D is is redlined. And yeah, you actually there's actually one from Richmond, Virginia. Um, it's a C graded neighborhood, and the notes at the bottom for why they rated it yeah. C was, quote, respectable people, but homes too near the Negro neighborhood D two, which means your proximity to blackness was enough to make it so that you couldn't access the easiest way of building intergenerational wealth in our culture. So they're, they're very directly serious that it's about race. Um, and you're kind of stuck in your neighborhood, right? Like redlining didn't cause segregation, but it did codify it. So was Yeah. And the other thing that's crazy about Rich- Richmond in particular, I don't know much about other cities, but I yeah. live in Richmond, the neighborhood, the um, black neighborhoods that they graded as D's were actually mm-hmm. thriving neighborhoods. Many of them like mm. banks, newspapers, like it was, it was just insane for them to, I mean, yeah. just tr- explicitly racist for them to be like D neighborhood because they were they were econo- economically as viable as the neighborhoods yeah. that they na- rated good and green and an A and all of those things. I mean, absolutely, it's wild. And then the implications, right? Now, it's not only can you not buy a house in a better neighborhood in the '30s. Now it's real bad. It, it is, yeah. And I, I think that like a couple of the points for, as to what it has to do with the climate crisis is that if you are a community that's stuck living where you are because you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't leave because you don't have access to this debt and people won't let you move into their quote unquote nice or green lines neighborhoods, um, you're not contributing a ton to the city's coffers because your property values have been decreased. And so we see over time that cities cite fewer parks in neighborhoods of color or those areas Mm -hmm. that were formerly redlined. Uh, There's less tree canopy cover. There's a lot more industry that's cited there. So tons more impermeable pavement. Um, I I think a a lot of folks will be familiar with Jeremy Hoffman and Vivek Chandis's work where they found that formerly redlined neighborhoods are on average 4.5 degrees Fahrenheit hotter than their formerly greenlined counterparts. In Richmond, it's 16. Isn't that crazy? what it can be as extreme as 20 yeah. degrees in some cities wow. on the same day uh-huh. in the same city uh-huh. so it can just from block to block uh-huh. a huge difference it's wild wow. and tangibly and tangibly like feel what that looks like 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 try oh. to imagine what that 20 degrees feels like yeah right. it's awful it's like truly awful it's wild uh-huh. and there's no yeah. cool like and yeah. then the imp- i don't know I, re- I distinctly remember a senator at some point being like it gets hotter just buy an air conditioner i was like that is Whoa. the most problem they're so problematic for so many reasons because, like, do you have the money to buy an air, air conditioner? Is the place that you have outfitted to put in a window, even just a window unit? Like, oh, my God. Yeah. I just remember, like, not. What's what's that utility bill? At the right, exactly. Time? Electricity like? goes up. I hate summers in Richmond because I'm like, hello, highest electricity bill of the whole year because yeah. I hate yeah. <laughs> But I have air conditioning, right? I'm privileged enough to have AC. Yeah. It is wild. So you're fixing this is what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're trying to understand it a little bit better because one of the questions, I, I think often when people hear that that difference and say, gosh, it's 20 degrees Fahrenheit, the solution is just to plant things. Let's get some trees in the ground to cast some shade. The real question, like, yes, do that. Absolutely, plant a tree. Right. Get lots we're of not anti-tree. Sure. We're super pro <laughs> Got a button, pro-tree. Uh, but I yeah. think that the, the uh, thing we should be asking is like, why has this change not yet come about? Yeah. We've had a really long time. The Fair Housing Act in 1968 should have fixed that. Why yeah. do our neighborhoods still look so different? They don't look like this by accident. They're not going to change by accident. So a big part of what we're doing is understanding, illuminating that relationship, trying to fix the harm and then prevent that harm from happening again in the future. Hey, this is such important work and it seems like such a huge thing what like to take on on a day-to-day basis what does your day look like like what do you spend your time doing day-to-day that you're actually getting to make those changes because they have to be intentional because they haven't just 
happened thus far. Yeah, we work really closely with residents. So Groundwork USA is the national support organization for 22 people-centered environmental justice organizations. Uh, we've been around gotcha. about, around for about 20 years, and we believe that residents should be in the driver's seat to making changes in their built environment. So everything starts with conversations with residents. So going out and door knocking, asking people, how are you being impacted by heat, hmm. by flood? Um, you know, are you familiar that there's a master planning process yeah. in your city that's going on and they're going to address the climate crisis and, hey, they're kind of not paying attention to your neighborhood. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Right. Um, spending some time getting demonstration projects on the ground with residents to teach them how to care for the infrastructure, work with them to understand what types of changes they'd like to prioritize in their built environment and then get it done to show that these really small scale solutions are possible. Um, and then a lot of time digging in and figuring out partnerships between other organizations because you can't do it alone and you shouldn't. So figuring out, you know, how do, does the boys basketball team want to be involved in this? And does the local housing authority yeah. want to be involved in this? Hmm. And, and what does your city councilor think? And pulling together these coalitions of stakeholders to help them understand the process and put them in the driver's seat and asking for, for more resources. So for me, I spend a lot of time talking to people. My job's about 80% chatting with folks, 20% digging into data and ideas. We, we mm. use a lot of geospatial analysis. Ooh, love that. Um, to, yeah, it's, it's really, it's, a, it's a, one of the things that surprised me so much about this huh. is that when you use these maps, they serve as this platform so for powerful, conversations about right? equity. So, so yeah. powerful, yeah. Our, our culture kind of sucks at talking about race and yeah. class and the climate crisis. It becomes very us versus them, you versus me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But these maps instead create this platform that says it's not your party versus my party. It's our city has a problem. What are we going to do yeah. about it? It's like a visual issue. Yeah. It does. It removes a lot of that skepticism and a lot of that, oh, well, it's not my fault. Or I mean, my geography colleagues would kill me for saying this, but it does sort of objective, make it objective, right? Like not subjective. You're like, here's the literal <laughs> data. Like, right. let's just look at this, like Quantifies. this big boundary yeah. that is our city. And then the way these things are distributed, which can yeah, seem and, more and objective unless you, me versus I, you. I think so. It can seem more objective, but it also connects to people a little bit yeah. better. I think everybody has mm. got like Al, the ghost of Al Gore in their head talking about like <laughs> 2.5 degrees no. Celsius. And no one really knows right. what that means right. functionally. But if you look at a map of, of where you live in Richmond, Virginia, you can say, oh right. yeah, I've been on that block. Oh. That's hot as heck. Broad Street And so sucks. you can connect that. Yeah, you can, you can connect it to who you are, and it sort of removes it removes a layer of uh, confusion or kind of wonkiness. Huh. Yeah, like you're putting yourself in that space, too. You see yourself, like, literally in that mm -hmm. map. You're like, I've been right. there. I felt yeah. that. That sucks. Or I've, like, yep. seen that street flood when it, we get our, like, crazy mm -hmm. rain event that we didn't used to get. Exactly. Oh, I get it. That's exactly. so cool. So are you mostly um, calling up people that you've never spoken to before, or are you literally going out into the neighborhood? Like knocking on doors, which terrifies doors. me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm actually so lucky that I get to do the program. A lot of cold calls? I get to do the program design work. So I've okay. got coordinators and managers that are out across all of these different cities awesome. um, that are doing the work meeting people where they are at the farmer's market, at the PTA meeting, outside the subway station, striking up conversations with folks to hear about right. their priorities and pulling together these opportunities for residents to, to organize and self-advocate. So I am in just a, a cool position that I get to see what's happening in San Diego, what's happening in Yonkers, yeah. and work with really awesome group of folks that are, that are willing to be out there knocking on doors chatting with people. Do you do a lot of like in-person trainings and stuff like that? I'm just imagining like it, it yeah. seems like a big project to me. <laughs> like, it is a really big project. Insurmountable. Insurmountable. <laughs> it is. Almost all of our trusts uh, will do compensated task forces yeah. where they pull together stakeholders from the community, pay them for their time because yeah. it's really important to pay people for their lived experience um, and use that space to cover that process of understanding why our communities look the way that they do, spreading that message out through the city so that we're not just talking to the 30 people in that room, we're talking to them and their friends and their church and their school kids yeah. um, and, and, and going through that the whole process of understanding why things look the way that they do and then what do we do about yeah. it. So, okay, Kate, let's go way back. What was your first job ever? Mm. Over the table or under the table? <laughs> under the table, because that's a real under. first job. <laughs> what was your first job? You, what are, was you, are you afraid really of the IRS? You don't have to say it. <laughs> no, it's, they're it's not listening. <laughs> probably past the statute of limitations, and I was a teenager. Um, it was it was just it was doing babysitting uh, for oh, mostly for teachers' awesome. kids and things like yeah. that. It's just I, mean, I truly I know it's not like so, a. It's like it's not ready so for something. I was like, I hire people under the table. Yeah, all the time. Right. <laughs> don't get me IRS. Okay, what was your first over the table? <laughs> first over the table um, job was actually working at 
Visit a summer camp, some more childcare. Definitely have a, a history of that. Um, I worked uh, when I was in college at the the front desk giving tours, so Ooh, walking backwards awesome. and chatting to people about yeah. why they should go to my did undergrad. You tripped? Did you trip? Never did. No. Okay. Yeah. You must have been really good at it then. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was okay. Twerk out of the year. I was all right. Uh, all right. So back to your point A. What got you interested in this work though? And then we'll talk about the middle part. But how did you get yeah. to this climate? crisis part. Yeah, so I grew up in Queens, New York, and in a neighborhood that was sort of at the the corner in between two expressways. And Mm. it was a lower income neighborhood, mostly African American black people who'd come up during the Great Migration in like the 20s, 30s, 40s, really tight knit community, tons of kids, having lots of fun, hanging out on the front stoop. It was a really great place to grow up. Um, but I spent most of my summers, like a lot of the kids in my neighborhood, in and out of the hospital for asthma. It was a neighborhood that didn't have a lot of trees. It was real hot. Our basements tended to flood, so there was a lot of mold that was down there, and we were right off of the expressway, so we were breathing in a lot of diesel fumes. Um, and when I when I was a kid, I used to hear from the adults in my neighborhood. They'd say, "You need to go to school. You need to get an education." So you can get out of here. And I was not a super anti-authoritarian kid. I listened, did exactly what I was told. I got a scholarship, went out to Portland, Oregon, and went to undergrad there. And when I came back, I became a public school teacher in the South Bronx in East New York. And I did exactly, said exactly the same things that the adults had said to me when I was a kid. You need to work hard. You need to go to college so that you can have a choice and you can get out of here. And embarrassingly, it took me about four-ish years to figure out what a horrifying thing that is to say to children, (laughs) that you need to leave your culture, you need to leave your family, you need to see your friends in order to breathe clean air or have access to green space. Um, And so I decided to go into urban planning because I thought that this idea of kind of the scrappy individual was was just ludicrous and and is such a rare occurrence. Why don't we just focus all that time and money and energy on... Let's fix where we live currently. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah, so that people are living in safe, healthy, clean spaces. And many, many more people have... Mm -hmm those opportunities yeah and it's yeah. not the lottery of birth it, it sort of removes right. the, the kind of that, that lottery element and removes that really horrible messaging that you need to leave the people you love in right. order to be safe um, so i went oh. to planning school at mit uh, worked for the state as the director of policy for their public housing portfolio working closely with residents to help them get engaged get the capital uh, projects for the um to understand the relationship between our capital risks so the portfolio that we have in the climate crisis because if a hurricane comes along and blows off the roof of the dennis housing authority we've got such a big funding gap like we're not gonna be able to recreate that housing Um, and then a couple years after that ended up going to groundwork and i love this job i I didn't know a job like this existed that's why you're here yeah (laughs) i mean that's totally why we started this because there's so many jobs that are out there and you just you know it doesn't follow in, it fall mm-hmm. into your college major or whatever and there's plenty of amazing people working in amazing positions that just you just don't know about yeah can we talk so you started tour guiding right that was your first over the table mm-hmm. job it sounds like and there's teaching in there too <laughs> it sounds like you've already you've always been like people people are my thing let's talk to people if you're dealing with camp camp, like kids and tour guides and all that that's people yep can we talk about so then that was in college was your first over the table job (laughs) i gotta stop calling that you think tour guiding was college (laughs) (laughs) yeah when you went to college did you know you were going to do anything related to urban planning or environment or climate or did you go for education? Because then you went back and be, you were a teacher. No, I actually, I started as a political science major. And then mm. the guys in my class were just the worst. real condescending. Yeah. And I switched uh, to biology. Poli-sci people and are the actually... worst. I'm going to throw that out there. <laughs> wow. I will, I will die on that hill. Maybe not as I bad as economists. They're also not listening yeah, to this Maybe podcast, not as bad as economists. So. All right, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> they, were, they were rough. They were rough. So I left and actually was a biology major. And so I majored Ooh. in biology and did a minor in American history because both of those were interesting and doable. And I thought maybe I could get a job after that with one of those. What was the job yeah. you wanted to get after that with one of those? I don't think I knew what jobs you could get. I grew up in a in, in a low income neighborhood, and I, I think that I knew like all the jobs of just the people around me. I actually did not know that urban planning existed until I was, was probably about twenty six, and a friend of mine handed me Jane Jacobs' The Life and Death of American Cities, and I read half of it, and I was like, boom, I'm going to go to planning school. I did not get to the end of the book where she talks about how much she hates urban planners, uh, uh, but made alert. my decision on the first. Half. Not important. Not important. <laughs> made that decision because I didn't even know about that profession. Yeah. I was like, Whoa, there's people who get to make decisions about the way that our cities are set up. That's 
what I want to do. Can I ask, because I know so little about urban planning, in my head, you are in JS, drawing a sidewalk, putting up a stop sign, being like, park here would be nice. Well, little fake tree. Little fake tree there. (laughs) Ginkgo, because it's not native, but doesn't have bugs. Um, People hate ginkgo trees. I mean, there's a whole thing, whatever, I'll stop. But what is an urban planning, what is that, what is an urban, when you were an urban planner for the state of Massachusetts? Right. Uh, yeah, well, I, I was a policy director. And okay. one of the things that's so nice about an urban planning degree is that you can do a ton of stuff because you basically learn Ooh. how do you get things to function. Uh, and the way that you get things to function is by understanding systems and understanding people. Mm-hmm. And that's a degree that can be applicable to from everything from working in GIS to get those models of what parking removals will yeah. look like. Yeah, and, and running models of what like the tree canopy cover will look like in 10 years ah. um, to you know, being the in charge of a city, being a mayor being a policy director, huh. being someone who who uh, is a community organizer, who's getting folks to at the grassroots level to intervene in systems for a more equitable future. So it's a really, really broad space. So if you're like a little bit interested in history, yeah. a little bit interested in science, a little bit interested in people like planning a good profession Should I for go you. with awesome. my job and be an urban planner? Sure I should. Think you've, I think you've found yeah, your job. Yeah, I mean, so. I should probably read that last half of that <laughs> I think book it just that happened. Kate didn't read, but. <laughs> yeah. Nah. No, I just, I think. I, I have a question. How did you go from being a biology major, which I'm sure there are plenty of pre-med students that you were hanging out with. How did you go from that and sort of make the switch I because guess? you were a teacher in between then right i was a middle school science teacher so oh, i taught nice. grades six seven and eight so everything Aww, from i loved my yeah. middle school science teacher yeah. i bet people oh, loved Kate. middle school seems like an yeah. intro that's like that's tough well that's that's our those are rough years i think to teach no the kids I have a really lot of feelings when i've got I was really scared when I went in, but I actually think middle schoolers are so cool. Uh, little Aww. kids see the world in very black and white. And sure. middle school is just when kids are starting to see that there's gray and color to the world. Ooh. And you get to walk them through that. <gasps> I'm like getting so, goosebumps, so but also stressed <laughs> just thinking about middle school. I'm going to go back to middle school. <laughs> I do not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heart. You did not make me no, want to no, go no, back. I'm but that's kidding. like such a delightful way to put those years. <laughs> yeah. So when you were, you were just teaching... And you were back where you grew up with your family and well, you were in the South Bronx, but not Queen, but like close, but New York, right? Here we go. Yeah. A lot of my family had been <laughs> displaced from, from the neighborhoods in, in New York by that time. So it was, it was I had one family member who's oh. out on Long Island, but it was, that was pretty much it. Um, you, in some ways you can't go back, especially when your community is gentrifying really quickly. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. Duh. Duh, 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 New York City in that time. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> so then, when you were teaching, though, that's when you decided I'm gonna get this degree, and you just, you just, you just applied and went. Yeah, I applied. I applied to the top ten planning schools, and I got into nine out of the ten. And hey, rock star. Like, Let's do it. All right. What was that one? Come on. University of Toronto. Yeah, come on. Canada. Do you know what? The city design. Not that urban planning is city planning. I'm learning right now, but Toronto is planned so poorly. So. They oh. don't. You're better yeah. than Toronto. So they, they need to admit better when, people. Can I ask another question? <laughs> yeah. If K- K- yeah. Toronto would not have the housing crisis it has right now if you were there. <laughs> can I ask another question about urban planning? Because, I again, I yeah. didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> Did you, like, then... Okay, so there's this, like, weird mapping part that obviously I'm fixated on because I'm a geographer. But She loves maps. Who doesn't love a map? But did you, like, concentrate a in a specific... Is there, were there like tracks in urban planning? Like here's how to make maps track and like here's systems design and here's policy. There are, but you do a little bit of everything because okay. that's kind of the job of an urban planner is to be familiar mm-hmm. enough, right? Like I'm not a GIS expert. I'm not going to be running any cool models about fluvial flooding, but I know enough okay. to know when something's kind of BS and I yeah. know the kind of questions that, that we need to ask. And most importantly, how to translate resident questions and concerns into a geospatial analysis to answer those questions. That's so powerful. So like, you're that connection between what people want and the data. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Know a little bit, bit enough to be wonky, but not enough to be sort of far removed from the average yeah, person's yeah. day-to-day experience. Yeah, you can like talk the talk, but walk, right? Like a, like a geospatial scientist would be like, oh crap, Kate actually knows what she's doing and I actually do have to fix this model to include this. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like professional code switching. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a much better way to put that. Um, and then when you worked for this, so then you went from the state and then from the state, why did you decide to leave the state? Because as I've heard, the state, my parents worked for them for a hot sec, has great benefits. They also left. <laughs> 
but I hear you get great. They do. You, they have a, a pension system. You can get eighty yeah. percent of your salary yeah. until you die after Wild, you work there for thirty right? years. Wild. Oh, my parents did not work there for thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the state government's amazing, and there, there's so many really wonderful for life and appointed people that are working in there to make our communities great. It's a really, really slow process, and it's a slow mm. process of intervention that tries to apply broad solutions to hyper-local and specific problems. And I think that one of the things that had frustrated me is that the solutions that you need on the ground in Somerville are really different from the ones that you might need right. in Springfield. And, and how do you get more involved in hyper-local work that puts residents in the driver's seat to making changes about their built environment? A lot of crappy things have been done at the federal level and the state level. A lot of wonderful things have been done at the federal and state level. Um, but there's often an absence of those community voices and of people trying to merge their lived experience with with some action to change the spaces that they live in. And so for me, the idea of going down to the grassroots level, changing local built environments that need the most attention, that was that's my North Star. That was something that was really powerful for me. If I look back at my professional history, you know, it doesn't seem super related. It's like, oh, you did a lot of babysitting and camp counseling, and then you were a biology major, but, like, <laughs> yada, yada. but I think that the, the connecting thread between all of them is that I'm really interested in equity. How do we level the playing field for folks? How do we make it so that things are fair? That's awesome. And you like, honestly, though, have a patience for people. And that's another like weird through line. I don't know. There are some <laughs> yeah, people no, you're totally that... Right that maybe Absolutely. don't thrive working around and like like communicating with other people and will just be happy to sit at a yeah. computer all day and then check back out right mm -hmm. you check in check out yeah and it sounds like i mean even from babysitting to tour guide to teaching middle schoolers which you framed it away so positive i've never heard such a thing no, uh, it sounds beautiful. like that's like a through line too which is really interesting when you sort of got at this a little bit so i'm one of those people that gets ridiculously frustrated when like my my, I live in the county outside of Richmond. There are no sidewalks mm -hmm. for very specific reasons in this county, right? Because yeah. we didn't want quote unquote urban people, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's awful for one, it's like based in this like history of structural racism, but also I want to walk around. Like this, I want to yeah. not get hit by a car. And it's better for my health and it's better for the environment. How, so I've, I've sent so many emails to people i don't know what else to do so so i guess i have two yeah. things one i'm ridiculously frustrated please help two yeah how, what are what can you suggest for people like us who are like see these problems and like want mm -hmm. to help but i really do only have like a, a an email sending capacity <laughs> Like, yeah, right, right. absolutely. I think a lot of frustration comes out of the gap between your expectation and the way that the world works. And one of the first things to do is to reset and reframe your expectations. Are they There's not no going to pave a sidewalk tomorrow in front of my house? Because <laughs> I want that. Maybe they will. Yeah, I sent an email. But there, like, there's, there's no panacea. There's no 100% solution that's going to fix things like that. Instead, what we're looking for is enough 1% solutions to start to tip the scale towards Ooh. equity, to tip the scale towards having a built environment, a climate, a future that's livable, that's joyful, that is enriching. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you only have a couple hours, you know, sort of on nights and weekends, I think one of the easiest things that you can do is just try to strike up a conversation with a neighbor or with someone else who you think might share a similar frustration. Mm -hmm. Your voice is great and it should be listened to, but like, it's probably not going to be. I'm not like Kate. <laughs> I don't like people. <laughs> Okay, nice and weekends, but I hate talking to people. That's really fair. <laughs> well, if you're if you're open to it, you can also you know email folks. There there's message boards it's like on Facebook an email. and things like that. I... Yeah, yeah, where you can go out. Group group lists list serve. Hey, can I talk in, to you about my next door for a hot sec? Also, oh. Steph loves talking to I people. Do. I'm just gonna. I have talked to okay. my neighbors. She now. literally. I've, I've talked to my neighbors about this. I don't want to be the one that does the organizing. I'm like, I can't. Like, some I'm full support. Let's all do this. But okay. Right. Next door, I hate my neighborhood that I live in. I'm like, someone, yep. sidewalk, something, something. Like, wouldn't that be cool if there was mm -hmm. a crosswalk here? And you'll always have people be like, what if it snows? It's Richmond, Virginia, by the way. You have to mm. clean up your side. They're so afraid I mean, of the snow. Yeah. Okay, I won't put this on you. Okay, continue. I can. Yeah. I will continue to talk to my neighbors. What else can I do? I'm going to get that sidewalk. Yeah, there's like... <laughs> This, you are. The second piece is figure out like who's responsible for doing the sidewalk. There's a little bit of a challenge in figuring out in cities and in municipalities who's in charge of what. In some cases, it's not well organized. In some cases, it's kind of intentionally obscured. Yeah. So figuring out who's in charge that of that sense. and also figuring out who your city councilor is and engaging them in some sort oh. of a conversation. Pat O'Bannon has been emailed. Fine. Let me tell you, she's not listening. <laughs> 
Have you tweeted? You've tweeted. I've tweeted. One of the problems oh, is the intersection it. I want is, which you see people crossing and it like fear mm-hmm. for my life, right? Like fear for my life when I yeah. watch people cross this is one's a state road and one's a county road. So imagine mm-hmm. the, uh, that's the easiest response too, to write back to, right? Like when I email the state, they're like county problem. When I email the county, they're like state problem. Kate, fix my life. I don't know. Be yeah. A city planner well, point. <laughs> Pulling the two of those entities together is something that makes a lot of sense. Hey, there seems to be some sort of a disconnect. You folks think other people are responsible for it. You other folks think these people are responsible for it. Can you, can you, can we come together as the three of us and you tell me how this works? I just don't know what Here's the thing. I've never put them both Uh on the same email. And I, as soon as we get off this podcast, I'm going to send that email. I'm not even joking. (laughs) I'm always like, okay, well, I guess that's it. Yeah, and if your city your city council has any um, infrastructure committees, those are also the people. They might not be your city councilor, but they're often our infrastructure committees. And if you can get one empathetic person or sympathetic person on that list, you'll have someone who really understands how the system functions and can help you navigate it. I probably it. have to find that. We do have, I mean, I yes. can talk to you about Richmond City. So the county is city planning 30 years out and they sent out a map that mm-hmm. was like, and I did send it to all of the people that I know and I posted it on Facebook and I posted it on Nextdoor and I was like, everybody say yeah. we want bike lanes and sidewalks. And I shit you not, I sat for an hour just putting bike lanes, bike lanes, sidewalk, sidewalk. And there was a whole article uh, in the paper written about how, wow, this one street really wants a bike lane. And I was like, I think it was just me. <laughs> Wait, seriously? I'll send you, I'll link to it. I think it was just me. You're, that's a, you made a difference. Um, I don't. Is there a bike lane? No, no, no nothing's happening. <laughs> there, we love Sharrows in Richmond and I could, I hate, whatever. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Sharrow? It's like when, Shero? it's a, for a bike, it's when they draw a bike on the road. And they somehow pretend that's oh. going to make the person driving the huge truck care about that bike not, on the road. Yeah, right. Totally. Mm-hmm. Okay, Paint can... is not protection, oh, as they say. Oh, my God. I'm going to steal that, too. Hey. Put that in your email. I am going to put that in my email. Uh, how do you stay so optimistic? You're so cheery, and I'm just trying to bring you down every... <laughs> Oh, I get the same anxiety spirals that I think everybody else does. There was a couple, um, it was last summer, we got hit in Boston really hard by this big plume of orange smoke from the West Coast that had settled over our city. The whole city looked like a Mm sci-fi novel. People were like Googling. Later that summer, there was a hurricane that brought like tornadoes. So so I also get into the the doom spiral. I have a a four-year-old and I really worry about the planet that we're leaving for her. Mm -hmm. Um, But what else am I going to do besides try to change it? Oh, so good. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> how do you how do you see like the work that you do is how how do you see like future global warming affecting what you're working on? Mm-hmm. Is it exacer I mean, it's obviously exacerbating the issues, right? Yeah. But are there new issues? Are some going away? That kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think that the, the the depth of focus or the, the the richness or color to the problem is is changing a lot. When we were talking mm-hmm. to folks, say in Rhode Island, about flooding, um, maybe five years ago, it was, gosh, the stuff in my basement is getting wet, and that's a big problem. There's mold that yeah. destroys my stuff. I don't have the money to move. Um, but now, as we we work with uh, organizations or work with groups that are across the country, we're hearing, um, gosh, the flooding is really bad here and we're seeing an uptick in chikungunya and we're concerned about malaria in New Orleans and we're concerned about, you know, pathogens and insects. Yeah, Yeah, tropical diseases. So there's all of these uh, different layers that are being added faster than I would have expected of of things that we need to be concerned at. And, and, And that just sort of turns up the importance and the urgency to 11 on, on some of these issues. Do you think that the sort of increase in in the awareness of climate change has will will give a little hope towards it's hard to ignore now i feel like this summer's i mean like the past two summers the weather has been just bonkers right everywhere but particularly in the united states yeah yeah, I think that um, one of the, the misconceptions that there is uh, is around uh, communities that are m- the most vulnerable, low-income communities, communities of color, uh, that there has not been an awareness of the climate oh, crisis. Sure. And it, one of the things that I appreciate in having one-on-one contact or hearing from the organizers on the ground about their contact with residents is how much residents are able to track what the impact of the climate crisis is doing to their day-to-day life. Yeah. There's this woman that um, one of the organizers Leandro spoke to in in Rhode Island and she had said hey I used to walk my dog around lunchtime every day but now I need to bring my dog out at either 11 or at two or three because the pavement is burning the dog's paws which means that just in the lifespan of this dog's and like dogs don't live that long 15 years tops um 
Yeah, just in the lifespan of that dog that she's had to measurably change the way in which she interacts with her day-to-day routine. So folks folks get it, and I think that they're seeing it in real time. There's sort of this ambient noise that's around it, but then there's also this very real, my utility bill was $50 more expensive this July than it was last year, but my salary hasn't gone up. So I think that there's this sort of like slow drip and and compounding um, pressure on, on folks to pay attention to this issue. I think one of the bottlenecks is that we're still looking to the federal government to save us and make some changes, or that we're looking to multinational corporations who've done like a real good job convincing you the reason that we're all in this mess is because you didn't wash your recyclables well enough. So plastic straws. We talk about plastic straws in almost every episode. I mean, because I don't care. Like, give me my plastic straw. It's not the problem. It's a a (laughs) two-fold issue. Yeah. Yeah, We've been blamed for them, but we also just hate paper straws. I'm sorry. That's fair. That's fair. Um, The the beeswax coated ones are real good. Oh. Someone said the the other time, what about a metal straw? And I was like, yeah. And we were like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. I mean, but isn't it just mm-hmm. Taylor Swift's plane that's killing the planet? Isn't it that? That was like a whole thing. Amongst for a other things, yes. Yeah. There's, there's other yeah. Things. Just that and BP. No big deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. A handful of corporations, um, and and so I think that, that that's leading to a certain amount of exhaustion. Yeah. Again, it's the difference between your expectations of the world and the way that it's actually functioning cause a yeah. huge amount of frustration and a huge amount of fatigue. So, so I think that uh, you know we talk about the the climate crisis um, as the biggest challenge of our generation and our time. Yes, that's true. I think we've got a co challenge of losing hope of being yeah. so frustrated that folks are not going to be um, able to see what is within our locus of control. And there's a lot more within our locus of control than we think there is even if we ignore the federal government and ignore the state government there, there's a lot that we can do so right. you're you're and like you're advocating a lot for just like talk to your city like city and local planners seems to be like yeah. the, the biggest place where like i could make waves with this yeah, sidewalk right impact. Yeah, yeah or even um even without the city government even talking to your neighbors yeah. there's this really cool um organization they're called depave.org um they have chapters across the country and what they do is they just get a bunch of folks to help people rip up pavement so you show up the house owner or building owner buys some pizzas gets a dumpster permit and a whole bunch of people show up with crowbars and sledgehammers and rip up a driveway rip up a paved over backyard that's going to reduce the land surface temperature and thus the ambient air temperature in your neighborhood that's going to yep set the stormwater runoff which is going to keep water systems cleaner and keep your home from flooding these are the like 1% 1% or 0. 0.0001% oh, solutions that are within your locus of control that you can do this week. Yeah. And like, if you've had a bad day, what a great excuse to take a crowbar to some pavement. <laughs> it's like a win-win Somebody win. else's house. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. It's just like, uh, it's not the Newsies. What is that That movie? The outside, The Outsiders? What am I thinking of? The movies with like people in, in like crazy little gangs and they dress up and one's got like a crowbar and they're dressed in really, oh, I'll figure it out. Ignore me. Sure. <laughs> I'd watch God, that. I'm, I have exactly a, how you've described okay, it. Okay. I also have a two-year-old and I swear to God, as soon as that child left my body, any cultural touchstone like disappeared. The outside? Yes. Oh, I'll figure it out. Well, Kate, if you, we ask all of our guests this, if you weren't doing this job, if there were no climate crisis, what would you be doing? Oh, I think it would be really fun to be an outdoor educator to, to take people who have not been and spent time in, in the wilderness. I d- didn't Boy, know- do we have an episode for you. <laughs> oh. I didn't know anything about like camping or anything. My my husband was the first one to take me camping when I was like 20, maybe 20. I showed up to a canoe trip in like jeans and a t-shirt. It was like not a, wasn't great. Uh, I also didn't grow up camping. (laughs) And I was a geology major in college and I showed up. That was my first time I ever camped as well. Same also. It's so intimidating. I'm from Brockton, Mass. So yeah, my first time camping is also in college because we did not have outside. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's not a thing. Yeah, uh, uh. It, it isn't and, and even doing some some outdoor wilderness stuff uh in urban environments because there are yeah. uh, this is an ecosystem i think that there's um the type of environmentalism that tends to get focused on it's the very whitewashed version where you've got someone in patagonia zip up yeah and they're looking at a moose Your duck they boots. See moose's habitat yeah right, like you, which we should you can do. wear jeans yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wear jeans camping all the time. In a canoe, it sucks yeah. a little bit if you get wet. That's a pain in the ass. It but... does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also this really great ecosystem that exists where yeah. people are, right? We're, we're human animals, and the, the world around us is an environment. What does it mean to explore that more deeply and appreciate it for what it is? I love it. Okay, before we ask you about cool stuff that you may have going on in the future, we need to ask mm. you if you have a pet. Yeah. 
Do, I do. Do they have a social Please media us. presence? Oh, my pet? No, Gorby is very private. Uh, private. What is Gorby? Yeah, Gorby? Gorby? Gorby is a cat. He came to he came to us. He, he's a we adopted him. He was a Russian blue, so his prior owners gave him the name Gorbachev. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I was like, you know, Gorby's so cute. Gorby I was like, there's a story yeah. here. What is it? Is, right. <laughs> <laughs> is it what's a Russian blue? Is that the one? one they have like green eyes and they're gray. Yeah. Or do yeah, they have yeah. long hair? We're, we're both cat people. Do they have long hair? Oh, good. Uh, very short hair. Oh, oh we're Does cat not people. really shed really hypoallergenic. <laughs> oh just a chance. Like, they you used go, to Gorby. make. I'm going to whisper because he's, he's sitting over there. Gorby. They used to um, make them into muffs and hats. Oh. <gasps> That was their original purpose, my, is my ears, understanding. Scorpio. I mean, we won't tell Tina or Kenneth either, but they, they don't have fur that could be made into anything nah, they real. Yeah, they wouldn't want, <laughs> they wouldn't want our cats. Our cats are just orange cats. Well, you have a calico, right? Yours technically calico. No, Rach. Yeah. Tina? Mm, I don't know. It's just orange and white. Isn't it calico, the one with the, like, swirly She's got bits? spotfish. No? Mm. All right. I have... I've, it's like it's like you don't even follow, I follow her on Instagram. I follow Rachel's cat on Instagram. <laughs> In my head, she's got like it's like oh, whatever. It's patches. Never mind. We both got orange orange cats. Anyway, that you would never make into a muff because no one would wear it. Mm. <laughs> um, do you have any other cool things coming up that you might want to talk about that maybe will help other people who are struggling with what to do every day? I hope so. Could you tell us? Yeah, that? I hope so. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you can always check out the work that we're doing at grammarkusa.org. We've got tons of story maps and interactive features for you to explore your community and understand the history between, you know, but basically they understand why do things look the way they do. Um, I'm also working on a book. Uh, it's with Island Press. I've actually got to finish writing it. So we'll, we'll see how that You'll goes. You'll do it. You got this. Yeah. Next summer. Um, next summer? Yeah. so far away. It's so far away. It's so much time. They tell me. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And, and that book is, hey, you're feeling really overwhelmed. You've got the bubble guts about the climate crisis. You don't think the federal government's going to swoop in and fix it in an instant. What do you do if you've got a handful of night, of hours on nights and weekends to make a difference in your community? That's me. I'm that person. Awesome. I'm going to read that book. It's yeah, you. We need, we need this book. Oh, man. Don't we That's need this great. book? Kate, does it have a title? Oh, yeah. Not yet. Do, no. That's, That's like later, that comes later, right? right? I've never written a book. I'm hoping someone else will, will christen it because I don't. I feel like I'm not very good with titles. I hope someone else. Oh, it's that. like you don't you don't want to commit. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a titles are so deal. hard too. I feel like titles are the hardest part of books. I'm sure it's so. not it's not all the thousands of words you have to write. Just the, t- just the titles <laughs> just the, the hardest title. part. That's why I'm not if gonna you, do it. If you need help, come back to us and we'll. we'll help okay. You yeah, out. that sounds great. Okay, wait. Rachel's yeah, yeah. actually. I should have mentioned. I really Rachel like is stuff. so good at titles. It is. It is it is insane. All of her grant titles. Thank you for I've adding me on LinkedIn. Yeah, reach out. Oh, there you, you, have go. you can um, endorse my skill at title writing. Yeah. Um, wait, do you have Rachel? You should put kidding. whatever. I don't joke. know. Rachel's like it's mind blowing. <laughs> Anytime I need some sort of wordplay, I'm like Rachel, please yeah. help me out because your brain. A wedding hashtag. Oh. A grant. A grant acronym. Nice. Maybe I got you. should set up like a little yeah. LLC that's just like wordplay title making. I was like. A- I was like doing it on Twitter. <laughs> okay, never mind. I didn't realize. Um, Kate, thanks for being that here. Yeah, great. when you get yeah, a title, if you get a title in your book in the next few months, or if Rachel comes up with it, we'll put it on our episode. <laughs> awesome, sounds great. Hashtag bubble guts. Ooh, yes. I mean, ooh, <laughs> actually, Maybe? bubble guts colon what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Kate. It was delightful talking to you and hearing about your work. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you.